Welcome to your Tuesday edition of Strib Sports Daily Delivery, your favorite daily sports podcast on Star Tribune, startribune.com. I am Michael Rand, ready to rock and roll for day two of this podcast. Um, we got Sarah McClellan, covers the Minnesota Wild for the Star Tribune, coming up later in the show to talk a whole bunch about the depth of this team, um, Kirill Kaprizov, and how they can best utilize him. A lot of good stuff from, from Sarah and a conversation I had with her, so excited for that. But at the very outset, a little segment we call What Did I Miss? What did you miss last night? Well, you missed a couple pretty significant pieces of news, but uh, first and foremost, you missed a Timberwolves loss. Um, I'm here to inform you, I regret to inform you, that the Minnesota Timberwolves are now 5-15 and after losing 100-98 to to Cleveland last night. And more so than the what um, of all this, because you know we don't need to get into the, the granular details of a back-to-back game between you know two average to below-average teams. Um, the 198 game kind of was a microcosm of what has gone wrong this season, and first and foremost, it's been the offense <clears throat> that has been the problem this year, which is a surprise if you've watched the Wolves over the last few years and maybe thought you knew what you were getting this season. They have a defensive rating this year of 103.8. That's how many points they score per 100 possessions. That is dead last in the NBA, dead last. Um, their defensive rating isn't great, but it's you know in the 22-23 range, so there's a handful of teams below them. Added up, though, and it's a net rating that's worse than the NBA as well. So you can see why they aren't winning. And, you know, yesterday's game was kind of a microcosm of all that because D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley combined to shoot 12 for 33, second game of a back-to-back. They go combined, uh, what, uh, 3 for 15 from three-point range. You know, they score 28 combined points, which is below their averages, and they need 33 shots to do it. So... That's not going to get it done, <clears throat> especially when Carl Anthony Towns is still out. And, you know, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a puzzle. Their, their offense doesn't seem to have a whole lot of flow to it. I know they, they want it to have flow. I know their style is less about, you know, calling specific plays, and it's more about giving players the freedom to move and cut. Um, but there seems to be a lot of standing around out there, and there was there certainly was a Monday night's game, and they need to figure that out uh, pretty quick. Or five and fifteen is going to turn into you know more than just a poor start. It's going to turn into another you know in a series of lost seasons for the Timberwolves. Other big piece of news was Major League Baseball and players have I don't know if agreed is the right word, but spring training will be starting on time after the players rejected the owner's latest proposal. So basically spring training is two weeks away. Players said no deal. We don't want to start the season later. We don't want to play a 154 game schedule and get paid in full. <clears throat> we don't want to push the game push the season back. We want to let's let's just go. Let's do it. Let's play. We don't trust you, essentially, is is the messaging here. So, you know, I guess the good news is if you're a fan, you, you don't, you know, and you want to see baseball, there's not going to be disruption, right? This is the status quo. This was within what the players had bargained. They could say this is what we want. The owners really had zero leverage here. They were just trying to give the players, you know, an offer that they might they might want to take in order to uh, in order to push the season back. The, the bigger picture takeaway from this is how much acrimony exists uh, with the players and owners right now. Still, um, you know, we're heading towards 
negotiations when uh, you know December 1st the collective bargaining bargaining agreement expires uh, in Major League Baseball there's been all sorts of contentious negotiations not just around COVID this year and last year but extending back several years and maybe even decades so if you are thinking about this in the context of the big picture this does not generally bode well this is another bit of acrimony between the sides and while it's probably good news if you're a baseball fan at the very least and you want to see baseball at the outset of this season that they have you know said this is this is what we're doing we're going forward there's going to be baseball you know starting in february there's spring training you know spring training games probably start about 10 days after that then regular season right around the start of april not pushing that all back a month the bad news is this means again that these sides are not getting along and you're going to see quite possibly some some repercussions down the road when they go back to the bargaining table uh, you know for the rest of this season and into you know that December 1st looming deadline. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, senior assistant sports editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Well, I am extremely excited right now to be joined by Sarah McClellan. Uh, Sarah covers the wild for the Star Tribune. We're right in the middle of this four-game series, as it amounts to, against uh, Colorado. Um, two, first two at XL Energy Center, next two out in Colorado. Um, Sarah, thanks for joining. Uh, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on as one of your first guests. I'm yeah. very, very honored. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate We appreciate you. We'll be doing this a bunch of times going forward, but pretty newsy first 10 games, I would say for the wild They're They're six and four. Um, you know, I think everybody can see the upside here. Uh, Kaprizov has been, you know, everything is advertised, but we're starting to see some adversity here. Maybe we're starting to see some of the questions of depth with this team. Um, we saw it uh, in their most recent game, which they managed to win, even though Kevin Fiala was out with a suspension. They're missing Marcus Felino in the COVID protocols, Matthew Dumba on injured reserve. Maybe we can start out, Sarah, with how you would assess this roster and you know where they where they are right now. Is are their depth issues going to become a problem, or do you think they can kind of withstand hits in in certain areas and you know kind of like they were able to pull together Sunday night? You know what, that's probably going to be the test of the season, not just for the wild, but throughout the league is who can weather, you know, these storms of adversity, um, losing players, whether it is to injury or to the NHL's COVID protocols, um, that's might separate, you know, the playoff bound teams from the teams that get left behind and the wilds first real taste of that was Sunday, um, you know, to have four regulars missing, um, you know, really like a, a, a third of, the, of what could be your forward group <laughs> on a nightly basis. Um, it's a tough challenge. And I think the way that the wild responded though, um, to be able to, you know, pull together a gutsy overtime rally against Colorado um, does give the team confidence, obviously, ahead of the series switching to Colorado and another two games um, but I think it also probably you know presented a blueprint of how to when the team isn't at full strength how to get those depth contributions and still be able to to roll four lines 
which I think is key. And it was very simple hockey. It wasn't, you know, pretty flashy plays that the wild was, you know, relying on to keep pace with Colorado. Um, you know, a lot of get the puck in, grind it out, get on the four check cycle and really be tight defensively to limit, you know, odd man rushes and, pressure the other way and I think that simple kind of structure will probably really help the team for however long it has to you know rely on taxi squad additions um, and a lineup that obviously isn't what it would normally roll out if it's at full strength um, you know we'll see I guess moving forward here how long the wild needs you know to rely on this look specifically Kevin Fiala is eligible to come back Thursday um, you know we'll see how long Marcus Johansson's out he's obviously another veteran forward up front um, but you're right the depth is getting tested and in its first you know real challenge though it really kind of was the unsung players of the roster who contributed Victor Rask had a pair of goals um, you know Jonas Brodeen obviously a big part of the blue line but not usually someone who contributes you know consistently offensively he scores the overtime winner I think that was probably a best case scenario for the wild to have that type of win in that first test to give it you know some mojo and, and swagger going into Denver um, but you're right it's going to be a test in a probably an area that's under the microscope all season is if this team is consistently shuffling players in and out can they withstand that and can you know the third and fourth line players whoever's filling out those lines contribute um and that's probably going to determine ultimately this team's success well and i think you raised a good point there and that it's going to be a question all season i feel like it already was kind of an emerging question of of depth especially at center maybe not depth so much as you know establishing a first line center you know we've seen Kaprizov uh, playing with a lot of different people already. Here's a here's a kind of a, a a bigger picture question for you that that also pertains to this season. What what do you think? I don't think the I don't think the ideal center to play with with Kaprizov is on this roster yet, or maybe or maybe hasn't grown into that role yet. What what do you you know big picture? Who who's the right kind of center to play with a player like that? It's interesting because I think so far Kaprizov is presented as a playmaking winger. Um, you see that in his production so far, he has more assists than goals. Um, and you can just kind of see the creativity that he has. It totally lends itself to someone who is kind of engineering the rush and really kind of forecasting where to go and what's next. But I think if that's the type of center that he plays with, I think you would see, you know, more of, the skill in the shot and his finish. And I think that's maybe kind of an under the radar aspect so far. Um, you see it here and there, but I think that's really a strength of his that maybe hasn't, you know, risen to the forefront yet is just his shot. And I think how quickly he can get it off, um, his speed and creativity and IQ to just get into shooting positions. I think that's something that's still, you know, still to be seen at the level that he can bring it. And I think that probably comes with the type of center who is the distributor, who is the presence up the middle that can lead the attack. And so far, um, you know, he's kind of seems like he's been that presence on the wing, setting up a lot of these goals rather than being the one on the finishing end of it. Um, that'll probably always be his game. I think, you know, he, he's a player who obviously wants the puck on a stick. I don't think that'll change. But I think having someone who can be that um you know that driver up the middle who can distribute to him in positions where he can finish 
I think that'll completely maximize his entire tool set and probably show another dimension um, that, you know, maybe we've just seen, you know, flashes of so far of him being, you know, this talented goal scorer, which obviously was his reputation in Russia. Um, obviously, he's done that internationally. I think that's probably the next step in evolution of his game in the NHL is becoming that scorer and, you know, playing with someone who can set him up. So can they go get one of those tomorrow? Is that possible? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm kidding. But it, you know, I think if there's a store where you can just go get one off the shelf. <laughs> yeah, where's the where's the first line center store? I didn't see one of those. Is that that must have been one of those things that was shut down by COVID. Um, uh, but in all seriousness, that will be the kind of I don't know if it's the pressure on Bill Guerin, but you know he he's shown a willingness to to tinker and and kind of try to maximize this roster. I wouldn't say this is an all in season for the Wild. They're trying to figure stuff out and still kind of understand what they have. But if you are going to maximize Kaprizov in you know and especially in this early going where you get a pretty good idea that he's a good player, um, you know it will be interesting to see if they try to make any ads uh, along the way, especially as we get closer to you know, the, the trading deadline and, and, and things of that nature. It's just an interesting season in general, though, because I, I, I've been more intrigued by this team. Um, and maybe I posed this question to you on a video we did last week. But, you know, as, as you watch this team, aside from Kaprizov, is there anything that stands out to you as something you just flat out didn't expect or that you're, you're, you're seeing from this team that has led to, you know, six wins in 10 games and a pretty nice start? I think it's really the step by, you know, what we would have considered in past seasons, the supporting cast, the depth players, the secondary scores. And, and at, at the front of that list is Jordan Greenway and Jewel Erickson Eck. Um, these are two players who I think were, you know, kind of approaching that make or break point of their career where they really kind of solidify what type of NHL player they are. Um, obviously, you know, they're still in their 20s. They're still young in terms of their NHL career, but it was really kind of like show who you are. And I think they've come into this season so far and really established, obviously, you know, that they can continue to kind of be, you know, responsible defensively and they can be relied on on the PK. But the way that they've contributed offensively um, to become, you know, the most consistent uh, point getter so far for this team um, has been really impressive. I think Jordan Greenway um, specifically has really probably obviously been maybe the best surprise of the season for the wild. He's at a point per game pace through 10 games. Um, you know, obviously that's going to be tough to maintain, uh, you know, throughout the season, but in a shortened season where you have to get off to a fast start, you can't have lulls. You have to just kind of get right back at it. He's showing a consistency that obviously can breed success in this sprint to the finish line, but also, you know, showing, I think, a maturity and an understanding of how he has to play to be effective in the NHL. And that's using his size. His biggest asset, I think, over a lot of players and against other teams is his frame, is his strength. If he leverages that, it's pretty hard to pick the puck off him. And he's shown that here and there in the past, but this season it's been the most consistent the way that he's asserted himself on the ice and he's getting rewarded for it 10 points in 10 games the most on this team to me that's been um you know uh, I, I guess a development so far that you know you might not have expected you'd probably think Kevin Fiala Zach Parise even Kirill Kaprizov as being the offensive tone setters 
Nuh uh. It's been Jordan Greenway and Jewel Erickson X so far. And for the franchise, for the future, when we're talking down the road, when Kaprizov is seasoned and maybe there is that number one center, if those are the flanks that are helping that along, it certainly looks like an optimistic future for the franchise. Speaking of the future, I, I need to get a Marco Rossi update from you. A little, some, some of the mystery um, disappeared, at least when the Wild announced um, the other day that he's been sent back to Austria. It's, it's COVID related complications. Um, what, what, do, what do we know and what, what's a, a realistic timetable for, for how, how this will play out? Well, the timeline is unclear, and I think that obviously speaks to the unknown of, you know, this entire situation, um, but obviously rest is the priority right now for him. And, you know, this was another young player, obviously, coming into the mix this season after being drafted that I think there was a lot of intrigue to see how he would show, um, you know, what he would look like if he got into some games. And all of that obviously has been put on hold now. Um, he played, obviously, in the World Juniors in December in Edmonton in the bubble there for Austria, came here, um, you go through testing, and then, you know, that kind of stopped the process for him. So um, it's rest for him that's where he's at right now having said that though um I know that the team and, and the confidence level of like what he can be as a player um you know that hasn't changed expectations remain the same for him and how he can project as a player and there's a lot of confidence I think around him that he can still be that type of impact player and he is a center he is that you know playmaker that potentially could be you know a running mate to a Kirill Kaprizov um we'll have to see obviously when they get on the ice together but um, I think he's still someone who's very intriguing in this organization it's just going to take you know a little while longer than maybe first anticipated to get that preview of what he can bring to this team you last thing for you, you mentioned Fiala back Thursday do you think at any point I think we've seen it like sparingly maybe when they needed a jolt do you think we'll see Kaprizov and Fiala ever on the same line consistently or is that a, a an, a, a pairing that they want to split up for, for, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, I think it's maybe an option in the back pocket, you know, like to, to potentially roll out maybe every now and then. Um, I think right now they like them both at right wing. And it, and it does kind of spread, you know, give the team a little bit more balance rather than maybe loading up you know, it's most, you know, skilled, um, dynamic players on one line. Um, having said that, they, they do get looks together on the power play. We've seen that before where they get on the ice together with Zach Parise. And um, obviously that though, you know, that unit is a work in progress. But, uh, you know, if, I think for right now, I think they like the kind of the balance and having them anchor two lines and being obviously, you know, two lines that an opponent has to focus on instead of just one, just, you know, just shut down this line. And, and then, you know, a team probably feels confident, but um, it is an option though. I mean, we see it around the league when teams are looking for offense. I think of Edmonton, you know, they're not afraid then to put Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on the same line, even though ideally big picture long-term, it's better for them to kind of carry their own line. It happens. And if this is an offense that obviously needs to pick it up or the power play, you know, needs to get on a roll and get confidence, that is certainly a possibility to put them together and then see how defenses react to that. 
Sarah, great stuff. Um, enjoy Colorado, this four-game playoff series, now four-game regular season series. We're going to see a lot of this this year. Teams are going to get sick of each other to a certain degree. I think we'll see some tensions uh, as as they play more and more. But uh, it's an interesting season. It's 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 kind of unlike any other. Follow Sarah's work, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com, Twitter, all those places. And uh, Sarah, thanks again for joining the program today. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Okay. Good stuff from Sarah there. I always enjoy talking to her, um, you know, whether it's just around the office or, um, you know, for videos that we've done on StarTribune.com and now for this podcast. Really good insights. Remember, she is out in Denver. She will be covering tonight's game. Give her a follow on Twitter at Sarah McClellan. Watch her, you know, watch her uh, here in this space quite a bit um, and, and definitely read her uh, in the Star Tribune and on StarTribune.com. Alexi. Change, change his face. Be happy. Enjoy. Now, you probably remember that. That's Ricky Rubio from about a decade ago talking to Alexi Shved, his old teammate, about, you know, changing his face, being happy on the court. And what, here's, here's a funny backstory about that. I've, I've been thinking about this podcast for a, a while, like, you know, several months at least as we've been kind of planning this out. And I, I thought... I want to do a segment called Change This Face, where it's basically maybe some good news or somebody who, you know, who needs a, a, a shift, a change in positivity. And so, you know, I was conceiving this and I was like, oh, I want to, I want to use that clip. It's so funny. Um, and then, you know, so this is like June, July that I'm thinking about all these things. And then Ricky Rubio gets traded here, which I had no idea was going to happen. Um, you know, gets traded here in, in November. And now, the very first time I want to do this segment, I think the subject of this segment is none other than Ricky Rubio, because I think Ricky Rubio needs to change his face. I think, you know, he's he's one of the players the Wolves are really counting on this season as a as a veteran, as a you know as a leader, as someone who's going to provide stability. I don't think he's in an ideal situation right now. I think that shows with his with his body language sometimes, with his output on the court. You know, he's he's the kind of player that will play better with better players around him. Right now he's running a lot with the second unit, and that's no disrespect to them because I think the second unit actually has been playing reasonably well and was the reason the Wolves almost won at least uh, uh, last night. But, you know, here's a, here's a stat line from from last night 19 minutes one made field goal two points you know five rebounds four assists you know he he's he was a plus zero right he was the team didn't outscore cleveland wasn't outscored when he was on the court so it was a, it was a fine game it was it was it was okay but for the season he's you know i get it too it's he's he's an energy player he's a guy that, that kind of thrives on motion on on emotion as well and you know this is a you're playing in a bunch of empty arenas for a team you started your career with you you got out of here you experienced some some playoff success so i i get it but he's shooting 18 percent from three-point range right now he had become a better shooter he he knows it he knows that something's not right he knows that something's missing he's said that um, and I, I don't know if it's an attitude shift, but I, I really hope that for his own sake, uh, at some point here in the near future, he is able to change his face and in the same process, change his season around. Hit me with a hot one. So like I said on yesterday's show, we're going to solicit 
reader feedback in a lot of different formats on this show. One of those being, I'm going to ask you from time to time for your hot takes, but not like, you know, not like the ridiculous hot takes. I don't like those so much. I don't like the I need attention kind of hot takes that you don't necessarily even really believe. Um, what I'm looking for here is more the, of the measured hot take. <clears throat> you know, the the temperature is still hot, but but you've put some thought into it, and you, you're you making an aggressive stand that is plausible at the very least. I got a few of those from you on Twitter, you the readers, you the listeners, so I'm going to run through some of those, and then my job is to kind of suss them out, decide, do I like that, do I not like that, here's here's why. So he, here's a few of those. At Fasolamat wants to, wants to say, this is the year for the Twins to go for it. Revenue be damned. The White Sox are still a year away from gelling. The Indians are resetting their offense. The Royals and Tigers are in the third consecutive year of being three years away from being relevant. Carpe diem. Seize the day, as they say. I, I kind of like this one. I, I think he's right. Um, I, I particularly like the White Sox take in all this because I feel like everybody's rushing to to crown the White Sox and, and a lot of times you find that you know a team that makes some significant offseason upgrades and has had the kind of one initial year of success what that like they had last year that team doesn't arrive right away it does take another year they, they kind of backslide and then they figure it all out um you know, I don't know if the 2017 to 2018 Twins are a perfect example because the 2017 Twins maybe got a little bit of fortune to get to the playoffs. I think the White Sox last year were a better team. But the, the point is, this division is there for the taking. The American League could be there for the taking with a lot of teams in flux trying to figure out what they're going to do for payroll. I think one, at least one more bold pitching move would, would put the Twins into the conversation for you know being among the true true elite contenders and not just uh we're probably going to win 90 or 92 games make the postseason and hope for the best when um, when the when the postseason starts at dose 17 says no timberwolves results should matter until towns and d'angelo russell play something like 15 games in a row together making decisions based on how an incomplete roster performs would be a mistake that's maybe that's even not even a hot take that's just kind of logic i think we're all waiting to see what d'angelo russell and a healthy carl anthony towns can do because we haven't seen it we haven't we haven't gotten even a, a an extended glimpse of it they haven't played more than two games in a row together since d'angelo russell came here in a trade and that's been almost a year now almost a full calendar year since that happened and obviously a lot of that was covid interruption but you know this is absolutely uh, we got to wait and see we still got to wait and see what happens are they going to be an efficient offense plus have enough defensive pieces out there to, to put lineups together that can win games that can close out games um you know because this is this is the vision right this is the vision they've had and it, we still haven't been able to see where it's all going and i think that's the most frustrating part of of this season <clears throat> is that we still haven't gotten a chance to see where all of this is headed in a, in the best case scenario. Um, we've only really seen a lot of the worst case scenario at this point. Last one, Adam Rye seventy seven. I believe it's Adam Wright. What are the? Why are the Wolves putrid and the Lynx awesome? Same owners, same market, seemingly same resources. Perhaps this is just clear and obvious proof that more women should be hired in high level roles in the NBA. I like it. Um, 
you know, I think there are some key differences between the leagues. Um, for the first and foremost being the WNBA only has 12 teams. The NBA has 30. I think it's harder to put together a really, really good roster in the NBA. I think if you had 12 NBA teams, every team would be really, really good. So I think you start out in the WNBA with a chance to put together a really good team because there's only so many roster spots you're going to be able to find good players. That said, not to take anything away from what the Lynx have done because they have built great teams consistently consistently over the last 10 years, and it looks like they're doing it again with some key free agents and their two uh, you know, back-to-back rookies of the year, Nafisa Collier and, uh, and Crystal Dangerfield. So, um, you know, should Cheryl Reeve, if the, if the Wolves ever turn this all over again and say, you know what, what we've got going here isn't working, we need a fresh start, we need a reset again, and I don't think they're there yet, so don't, don't get me wrong, I think Cheryl Reeve would absolutely be a great candidate uh, for head coach and or GM. I think she absolutely could do those jobs at the NBA level, and I think it would be um, really interesting to see how that played out because I think she would do a really good job in those roles. All right, let's end today's show with the cooler, hopefully making you feel smart and focused uh, as you go about the rest of your day. A couple things struck me as I was doing some show prep and reading. Uh, One thing, I saw some Super Bowl odds for 2022, next year's game, uh, already out. Vikings 30-1 to odds right smack in the middle of the pack. I think that's like tied for like 15th through 18th with three other teams. Other thing I saw was ESPN has a, a thing about how long until your favorite team wins the Super Bowl. Uh, for the Vikings fans, it's uh, perpetually forever. Um, it The last time they went to the Super Bowl, I was two months old and I'm 44 now. So you do the math, 1976. So, but but in in seriousness, they were asking, you know, how long until your your favorite team makes it? You know, they're establishing the contenders, the teams that are maybe a year away. They're saying the Vikings are two years away, and I think that's maybe even generous because I think a defensive reload and, and figuring out everything offensively might take longer than that. But you know, just thinking about both those things, uh, it made me realize one of one and one of two things. One, it's going to take some patience here, right? I, I think we've been kind of conditioned kind of in the last five or six years to think the Vikings could maybe make a run next year because they're kind of always in that every other year making the playoffs mode you know they were 11 and 5 should have won the playoff game in 2015 then they you know had the Teddy Bridgewater injury and Sam Bradford comes in they go 8 and 8 after starting 5 and 0 but then they go 13 and 3 the next year and get to the NFC title game and you're like okay they add Kirk Cousins and then it's 8 7 and 1 but then the next year you know they're 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 in the playoffs they win a playoff game down last year because of the defense but I I feel like the defense is old enough now that they're they're not a a true Super Bowl contender next year I don't even know if there's a true Super Bowl contender two years from now so the way you think about this team right now needs to be patience and I think it's also another reason to think that if you are Rick Spielman thinking about at least some major roster moves. And I'm saying not saying that's necessarily Kirk Cousins trade. I'm just saying some major roster moves. If you really think you are that far away from the Super Bowl, does it make sense to have a lot of your best veteran players still on the 2021 roster and going forward? That'll do it for today. Thanks again so much for listening. Remember, subscribe, 
both to the Star Tribune at Star Tribune uh, slash subscribe. Go to uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, other other places to uh, to download and ri- write a review of this podcast. Or you can get it every day, of course, on on the Star Tribune website as well. I am Michael Rand. Thank you so much. We'll be back at it again Wednesday on Strip Sports Daily Delivery.